Hello and welcome to LSH Talks, a podcast hosting important conversations within the commercial property network. In today's episode, we will be discussing COP26 with LSH's Head of Sustainability, Frankie Bryan, National Head of Office Advisory, Ryan Dean, and special guest, Steve Malkin, CEO of The Planet Mark. The aim of this podcast is to highlight what change COP26 should have on the property sector. So thank you all for joining me on today's podcast. So would you say that the conference has been a success? And why? We were at the conference for the full two weeks because it was the culmination of our zero carbon tour. In many respects, it has not done enough. So we could have been working away with much firmer commitments around phasing out coal. We could have had more commitment about reducing you know, investment and subsidies for fossil fuels. We could have been doing more to support and, and, and place the funding for the loss and damage around the countries which are going to be most affected by climate crisis and are also already being affected. And all of the commitments added up right now now kind of have moved the dial from 2.8 degrees in terms of global average temperature to 2.4 if you add them all together that's as good as it gets but if you take some of the better things from COP then everyone is talking about 1.5 and not 2 in terms of global average temperature increase and so that's really the focus of attention there's a requirement for everyone to come back each year now and say how they're performing there's some good movements thanks to Mark Carney and the Global Financial Alliance to net zero so the investment community is mobilised. There's good stuff for nature in terms of you know, protection and restoration. And I think that one of the big takeaways is that you know, despite the fact that there was you know more that could have been done, I think a lot of organisations and industry understand that more must be done. And it's about sort of action now, not talking. I would agree. I mean, obviously, there's there's not a clear cut answer to this question. There are some some real progress that was seen around those commitments that you mentioned, especially around around methane. Finally, fossil fuels mentioned within the within the agreement and like the targets that we saw from from countries like India, like that was it's hard to say that's not progress. And it, actually, I would say it is significant progress. But then on the other hand, it was just incredibly frustrating that we're at this point. And there was, I mean, such a disagreement like from the international community about using the terminology of phasing out fossil fuels. The last IPCC report made it very clear this is a man-made problem, and that is because of fossil fuels, and we can't even agree to put the terminology in the in the agreement. I thought that was very frustrating and, and quite indicative of, of how far we still need to go. And I think the other thing that really stood out to me was that the the protesters and the advocacy groups that they were there they made it really clear that at this point what we need to see is evidence of what's going to be done to achieve these targets and I think what we got a lot of was talk about targets and for me that was again just quite frustrating about okay it's brilliant to say we're going to do it but how and what's the pathway because we can't wait 20 years to start moving we need to be doing this now otherwise those targets aren't going to be sufficient anyway so perhaps a slightly more negative response than yours but there were definitely some positives as well. What would you consider the main takeaways for the real estate sector were? There were several things that stood out when I kind of reviewed the, the progress of the conference. And I'd say the first one was probably the emphasis on collaboration. And I know this isn't really new for the real estate sector at all. We're always talking about the requirement to collaborate further. But what I think really stood out about the conference wasn't so much the collaboration internally between landlords and occupiers and those sorts of stakeholders, but was really the need to collaborate effectively externally. So with the other industries that are really investing in research and development and making huge leaps in this area, there is so much we can learn from what they're doing that I think we need to think about more carefully how we can apply to our own sector. So I think that was one really key takeaway for me. I'd say also the the launch of the UK GBC's whole life carbon roadmap, it made it really clear that there was going to be a requirement to broaden our focus from operational carbon. Don't think this is a surprise to anyone, but it was, I think, a very 
good signal of intent about where the industry is moving to and, and a, a roadmap of how to review it. And so a really useful tool to be published at that time. And then finally, I'd probably say it also really highlighted that kind of imbalance of supply and demand that we're currently seeing in the market. I think in one of the talk, one of the speakers mentioned that every building that isn't currently net zero is brown, which I thought was a really succinct way of putting it because we're quite used to thinking of green buildings as those with brand certificates or solar panels on the roof or who have these renewable technologies integrated into their design but actually if they're not at net zero they're still brown as well and it really hit home to me how far we still have to go we've got a lot of investors and owners and stakeholders looking at this transition but we just need to get there a lot faster than we're currently moving in terms of takeaways from me i mean i, I suppose the biggest thing from cop 26 i would have seen instead of the sector is i think previously mentioned mark carney's piece in terms of the investment for the global financial piece majority of our landlord clients specifically are going to be raising money in that space so you know the everyday person on the street is going to start focusing on where they put their pension pot so ultimately you know the noise that that's given individuals i think will work through the financial sectors which in turn will come back to the real estate sector we've been involved in a couple of deals recently where net carbon zero buildings brand outstanding buildings are taking i don't know probably half a point better in yield in terms of the sales price so that is real life actually affecting the industry now and that's only going to gather pace over the next year few years so i think that mark kind's piece is hugely important for that there's a significant lack of understanding around net zero and zero carbon in terms of organisations. But for those who do understand it and for those who are coming to it, there's something really important about this sort of drag along effect of zero carbon. If a company that you are working with has set a net zero carbon target, it means that they have to measure um, their carbon footprint to include and reduce their scopes one, two, and three. And the scopes one and two are their electric, you know, consumption in scope two, and then their scope one is the sort of fuels that they burn, which could be the gas in their properties, for instance, to heat them, but also the fuels in their vehicles. But their scope three is literally everything else. So if somebody in your supply chain is setting a net or, or a tenant or whoever it may be, has set a net zero target. They're going to come to their stakeholders and their value chain to find out what their carbon emissions are. And that effectively is a drag along because if to get to net zero, they have to, you know, encourage those organizations in the value chain to reduce their carbon as well. In that scope three, you might be saying, well, look, we need to decarbonize our real estate. Because we, as a as an entity, as a company, you know, we have to take our scopes one and two down to zero, which means they've got to get rid of their gas, it means they've got to get rid of their petrol and their diesel out of their vehicle fleet. And that scope one and two has got to go down to zero, by, uh, go to 50% reduction by 2030, which is eight years away. So immediately there's this huge effect of decarbonisation coming through the, the, the zero carbon programme. You know, brands who are committing to this in the public domain are going to be held accountable and they have to do it. Embrace the technology, reduce our carbon emissions by 50% by 2030, because that's what lots of people are putting out there in terms of their commitment to the Race to Zero campaign. And that's, a, that's going to have a huge effect on everyone in a sort of a carbon value chain perspective. So if your customers are doing that, then then you're going to get dragged along. And there's just a piece on, you know, on uh, green buildings and that idea that any other building is is that's not that serious brown. I think that's great. And everything around life cycle assessment and understanding the full impact of your organisation in terms of its carbon, including embodied carbon in buildings and new developments and fit outs and refurbishments is really, really important. You know, we've done a lot of work in that space about understanding whole life carbon and how you can balance embodied carbon and operational carbon to get something which is, you know, quantifiably better for the climate and the planet and society 
when you're you know creating a specification and creating a new build or a refurb? I would say some of the CVAR, I suppose not COP26, but some of the building certification that's currently available in terms of BRIAM uh, well-being and some of those, I don't think give the right points for reusing existing buildings compared to new buildings. And I think that over the next few years is going to have to change massively to make, you know, how can we as individuals try and recycle as much as possible in everyday life? Yet we're comparing a new building straight out the ground off a built brownfield or greenfield site with a building that's been refurbished. So that that I think the industry has to change quite quickly in that regard. Do you think there was sufficient emphasis on the role of the built environment in addressing the climate crisis? I don't think it will surprise you. My answer to this is no. I don't think there was sufficient time spent on the built environment. I felt like it, it was constantly quoted that the built environment was responsible for up to 40% of global greenhouse gases, gas emissions. Obviously, that's not a new statistic. It's been around for years and it's quite frequently quoted. And maybe because it's quite frequently quoted, it's sometimes overlooked, but it's actually a really shocking statistic. And it just never feels like there's a sufficient emphasis on what we're actually going to do to reduce that 40% because it's a huge, huge chunk. Of, of what we need to do in order to get to net zero. And the, the single day, what I felt was actually we had a lot of reiteration of what things would have already been said before. Not that any of those things were wrong or were lacking. It's just that we need to be doing something different. And so we need to move the conversation on, which again, I think really highlights that need for further research and development and actually some innovation. We've talked a lot about different types of building materials. We talked about timber and modern methods of construction and repurposing and reuse, but actually we still see remarkably little of it in the market. These shouldn't be new ideas anymore. They should be tried and tested and, and kind of every day. So that was really my takeaway from the Built Environment Day is that we seem to be stuck in a bit of a rut and we need to be moving forwards onto what we're actually doing and not what we say we're going to be doing. I was just going to say, is that a reflection of how slow our industry is in terms of things just take a long time? So, you know, we're involved with buildings that are PC now that were actually designed three years ago maybe even four years ago. So the fact is we are just a very, because it's very tangible, long-term building, it takes so long to get these things out of the ground. So I, you know, I completely get your point, but it does feel like it's moving at such a pace and so confusing to many that therefore decisions on new stuff is going to slow down. Yeah, I completely agree. We're, we are quite traditional as an industry and we are quite slow just because of the types of assets we deal with. But I also think we are dragging our heels a bit and we could be moving the action faster as the conversation is developing around it. At Planet Mark, we run a, a certification for new developments, and we have done since around about 2006 in terms of working out and embedding a requirement to reduce whole life carbon in any new development. Now, what's great about uh, property development construction is that once you can get into practice and into specification and delivery on site, and a curiosity around new materials and processes is that in actual fact, engineers generally are very willing to, to look at what how things can be done differently once you get over that sort of hurdle about are we doing it or not. So if you can set out a goal for a property, you build or you know, or refurb or, or potentially fit out and say, look, this is how we this is how much carbon we're looking to cut. Now, we know that we work with developers like Prologis and GLP and many within the logistics centre, and we've taken 20-25% of the whole life carbon out of those buildings through materials choice, through better specifications, through better practices on site, reducing waste, you know, improving efficiencies and being curious about how we can do better. 
And in that value chain, you bring together the developer, you bring together you know, the construction company, the, the specifier, the architect, um, and the main component parts. Actually, within construction, you can drive that change. And we have found that, you know, putting almost locking those people into a room, having a session by saying, are we going to take a quarter of the carbon out of this thing? Yeah, what can we do differently to deliver that? And let's try some and accept, you know, there's a degree of testing and you know, piloting and, and a little bit of trial and error. But out there, there are sort of practices you could be delivering on site right now, in particular on concrete mixes and swapping out cement for GGBS and PFA that are going to radically cut your carbon in your concrete at the very least that are readily available right now as long as you accept there's different types of year they can apply different types of concrete mix as a as an example so there's a lot that can be done if people are willing to sort of take a whole life view of their of the carbon impacts of the, uh, the development they're putting up but cynically still it's because the occupiers are going to pay more money for what these guys are developing across sector now i think that's a really good thing because you know the the natural answer from a quantity surveyor when you ask them and i shouldn't pick on them but it's going to cost more money for doing something different where actually i think i agree with you Steve. the more we're doing it's not necessarily costing more it's just now the understanding is getting better and better um, and we're delivering better products but i still think that's been driven by the end user and the occupier needing to have better space from an from environmental point of view it's also being i agree with that and so if the if the end user and the occupier are saying because i'm going to be in this in this building for a number of years and it actually represents physically who i am as an organization that's got to work for them in terms of their own sustainability esg and zero carbon commitments but at the other end, you know, you brought up finance, you know, for developers, actually, if they're putting themselves out there and developing a building, which is going to be net zero, we're also seeing sites that they can access money cheaper. So it's, there are different, you know, benefits from tackling a zero carbon building. You know, there's a value engineering piece, there's a cost saving piece, yes, there's an alignment with your customer, um, there's a long term de-risking, but also access to cheaper money right now can be very, very important from a development perspective. What challenges do you see the built environment facing moving forwards? So I think, as Ryan's already said, data collection is still a massive challenge that we face and one that we don't have the answer to at the moment. But if we're going to accurately report on how close we're getting to net zero and the progress we're making and actually share results with the industry about the effectiveness of different techniques, that sort of thing, we are going to have to improve in this area. I'm not going to dwell on that any longer because I think we're all very clear that we need to be better at data collection. I think we're still going to have a problem with this division of control within buildings, especially with how they're accounted for within different companies' carbon footprints and the relative impact they have on their carbon footprints. So, for instance, a logistics company, potentially quite a small part of their carbon footprint is, is real estate, and so it's not their focus, uh, which, again, brings up this, this requirement for, for better collaboration internally around who's going to take control and ownership of that and deliver those, those results. But it's definitely something that's still very much a, a challenge that we're facing. I think we're going to start to see more challenges around physical climate risks that we haven't really spoken about too much in the UK as yet. We, we talk about it a lot abroad with sea level rising and extreme weather events, but we're in Ireland we are going to have this issue we are also going to have extreme heat that a lot of our older building stock is not built for in terms of comfort levels and, and well-being of occupiers so i think we're going to start to see that become much greater challenge in the future as well and i think that bit about data also is that for companies who are setting net zero targets quite often they're trying to get their data from the landlord and that's still a challenge for them and they're penalizing them 
within a service office environment about not being able to accurately calculate their carbon emissions. So um, that does get in the way. Um, so, um, you know, with you on the sort of the data collection and, and making it easier and high quality, because, you know, that's quite straight. It, it should be quite straightforward. And then, you know, another challenge might be actually how do you get to zero within your existing estate? What do you need to do, you know, particularly in terms of, you know, uh, getting rid of gas in the UK in particular and finding, you know, you know, the right alternatives for that and costing those through uh, and making that into a sensible plan. So when you start to look at when you're taking a company to zero, you know, looking at practicalities and the capital cost of enabling them to do that, then you start immediately to focus in on, you know, the, the major impacts, which is generally their real estate, generally their fleet. Um, and that large sort of chunk, which is their scope three, which is their sort of upstream supply chain and the downstream stakeholders and customers, you know, but within their own real estate, you know, that's, that should be something that you can one, get the data for very readily and two, take action very, very quickly. And that's the opportunity, I think, for, you know, for uh, all of those involved in real estate. I suppose the, the challenge I think we've still got is still the sort of, we talk about cars and fleet quite a lot, but the infrastructure of the built environment isn't great. So there has to be further investment in public transport to make significant changes in, for me, in that fleet management, because just just changing diesel cars for electric cars has got some positives, but ultimately we've still got too many cars on the road, too many journeys being made and all those things. So I think from a built environment point of view, it's looking at how, how we build things in the right places for the people who get to them. Well, that's that holistic view, isn't it? And if you're thinking about the role that buildings might play to Frankie's point about looking at the physical effects of climate change, we know that people in cities and in other places will need, you know, refuge from, you know, severe heat. And they're already looking at company, you know, planning departments, thinking about how they might provide that sort of, you know, public service. You know, what role will buildings play within that? How do we, you know, embed nature within that? You know, how we, you know, so, so a sort of a, a harmonization and a holistic approach to the role that, you know, our buildings play, you know, within our communities and the communities they serve, that, that comes through to earlier points that we discussed about collaboration. So how does it have a positive impact on the communities that it serves in, in all aspects? That must be planned in now. This change is going to happen unbelievably quickly, by the way. I mean, what's going to happen out of COP is that we're going to see much more activism because there's huge pent up frustration that COP has COP26 has not done enough. Much more pressure on COP27 in Egypt. You're going to see public activism really, really stepping up. And as the realization is that we are going deeper and deeper into a climate crisis, and we're going to, you know, feel the impacts of that. And and we're going to have to accelerate action. And companies are doing that. But to cut your carbon emissions by fifty percent by 2030, for instance, is, is quite a challenge. And so we're going to be looking for solutions providers. So already we're seeing people seeking out companies, seeking out other companies that they can work with to cut their carbon because they're recognizing they've got to do that. So Mark Carney's also said, yeah, okay, look, there's risk here. There's massive opportunity for those organizations who are grasping net zero and saying we can provide the products and services and the real estate opportunities for you to come and, and cut your carbon with us. And that's that exciting piece that, that, you know, we have seen as a takeaway from COP. Yeah, I think we'd already started to see, you know, COP, we are already starting to see that in some of our newer developments that are brought online when, you know, we, we touched upon this in this conversation earlier about reporting data. 
there isn't a building we're not involved with in terms of new buildings that hasn't got smart tech behind it that allows that data to be sort of fed through at a touch of a button, whether that's brand new or whether that's been retrofitted. So I think there have been some great steps in the sector. It just obviously has to happen a lot, lot, lot quicker and on a much, much bigger scale. I'd say also it's not limited to new build what we're already seeing. We're already seeing really big strands in existing buildings and even heritage buildings around what can be done realistically to get them to net zero. So I think there is some really positive moves in the market. It's like you say, Ryan, it just needs to be accelerated and expanded across a broader sector of the industry. With that, and if you take a, if you take an existing build, which most of our real estate is, right? And how, how do we operate that better and better to get to zero? And if you think about, you know, um, a multi-let, it's, you know, it's a whole bunch of organisations and people, fundamentally people in a community, in a building, that um, increasingly give a damn, because that's who we are. We're just recognising now this climate crisis unfolding. We're working within organisations that, you know, we're aligning more and more around purpose as individuals and the companies that are where we choose to work. And, and those companies and those people are choosing to work in certain spaces, be it at home and or within a building and who they have around them. And we're sort of super interested also in like the supply chain of those buildings. Because they're a community in their own right. And they can also make their choices about what type of organization, who they're working with in terms of their facility services, in terms of their cleaning, in terms of the deliveries which are being made to site, in terms of their security and front of house teams. That is their community. And we're seeing people throughout the FM industry and particularly the cleaning industry who are doing massive strides towards net zero, massive strides in terms of using nature-based solutions for all of their cleaning, removing chemicals, reducing toxicity in the sort of environment where people are working so it's healthier. There are so many wins to be had as this focus increases on our personal choice that we can make to take action. Within real estate, we just see it coalescing in that sort of physical space, which feels good. I really agree with what you just said. And I think that community aspect is really important. Just to add to what you're saying, what we're also seeing in some of our multi-let spaces is where previously occupiers had their own suppliers come in what we're seeing is a movement to aligning those suppliers so not only are you unifying the approach to the building so you can have suppliers aligned with net zero but you're also only having one of each type of supplier to reduce emissions to and from the site so I think that community element and that collaboration that we're seeing at that kind of site level is becoming more and more important and actually is really helping to engage everyone that goes through those doors then you've got a better building right yeah absolutely better for occupiers as well as 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 landlords so it's great it's his own zero carbon ecosystem i think what needs to happen is that that type of vision from the organizations within it that any stakeholder involved say right we're coming together we're going to set a net zero ambition for our community here we know that our parent organizations may already have done that but this is what we're going to deliver on site and this is how we're going to go about it and then people can coalesce around that vision and and you know the targets and the, the desire and the willingness to make it happen do you think do you think and this is a question i suppose to steve and frankie do you think that may lead to some opportunities in i suppose smaller towns that perhaps had a hard time over recent years you know We've lost retail high streets. We've lost quite a lot from those central points. So actually, it's, it's really hard to get a big, successful city to change direction. But actually, some of these small towns across the UK, I think, can provide some real good opportunities of just working in a different way, whether that's 
from the sort of commercial world, the real estate world, I, I think that could be really interesting. So I meant residential world. I think that could be really interesting opportunity. Could be seeing a resurrection of like the Garden City, but you know, but retrospectively, you know, a number of people within that, you know, with the society through COVID have questioned the use of their time on commute. Do they want to or do they need to do it? So through the COVID experience, which has been mightily challenging for everybody that reflection that people have had at that time might just start to ask if they could live their lives in a better way and you know the work that we do you know we've seen companies come to us of all shapes and sizes saying that we want to do things differently now and we recognize the role that we've got to play to have a more positive impact on society by having you know more contribution to society but also to tackling the climate climate crisis so you know it has given an opportunity to rethink and I think we, if we can carry that forward into your point, Ryan, then, you know, what, what do regional towns and cities look like and how can they answer some of the needs and wants of people together in the community? Then, you know, this is that moment in time. It is demanding rethinking. So finally, what was one takeaway that surprised you about the conference overall? I think one of the takeaways that surprised me was the amount of private capital that's available and actually willing to be mobilised on this cause. I think it really demonstrated the role that businesses can play and should play. And comparatively, I think it's contrast with how little capital governments currently have available and so how important that role that businesses have. So I think it was quite empowering in that sense, in the kind of don't wait for legislation because we can act now and they will follow because we have the ability to do so. We've been touring the country and they sort of planet mark zero carbon tour, going to 50 towns and cities, hundreds sort of, you know, events along the way to COP. And we spent two, you know, the full sort of period of COP, two weeks of COP. I think in the journey, we'd recognise that there was on the whole a fairly low level of understanding around what the, what zero carbon is. But in actual fact, what around the periphery of COP in the fringe events is where great conversations were taking place based around all sorts of cross sectors, companies representing and organisations, you know, um, across sectors saying now is the time to take action. And there was that real feeling that, that they recognised that, that they had a role to play. It is in around zero carbon and the coalescing of that drive, that sort of framework, that definition gives us uh, at an organisational level. So businesses stepping up into to zero carbon was the sort of the positive that we took from COP and the, you know, the energy, the momentum that's going to give us into 22 and beyond. I suppose the biggest takeaway for me from COP26 is just emphasising that this is still and will always be about people. Now, we work in the built environment and all we're trying to do really across this business is, is provide housing and provide commercial real estate to individuals. So the investors only get money from people. The occupiers can only get people to kind of work for them if they're doing the right thing. We're all challenged with trying to employ 21, 22 year olds to sort of fill the future of our businesses. And if we don't get this right, we'll not be in this space anymore. So the biggest takeaway for me is, is, is to focus on the future and make sure we're doing the right things to focus on the future of our businesses and our investors. To find out more about the Planet Mark, please visit the link in the description of this podcast. Please also visit our LinkedIn to keep up to date with latest news and reports.